sing. Thanks, guys. That was, uh, that, was, that was great. It's so appropriate for the topic that we're going to talk about, this tension of remaining uh, in Christ or deciding to walk away from Christ. And our relationship is much more like the marriage we just sang about than it is about anything else. Uh, before, before I jump into the, the sermon today and we tackle the final statement that Jesus chooses uh, to define himself, I want to draw attention to something that uh, kind of shook me to the core. I hate to say this, but it happens so often in our country, it's hard to know which one to call out. Uh, but yesterday uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a deranged gunman walked into a Jewish synagogue and murdered 11 Jews and injuring six other uh, all the while uh, yelling uh, curse words, profanities, and religious and racial uh, obscenities. I want to call us back uh, to what Scripture says about these things. In Romans 12, Paul says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, people that don't look like you, believe like you, or vote like you. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. The, the scriptures call us to not take vengeance, but to live at peace with everybody, even people that don't live, look, believe, vote, or uh, think the way that we, that we do. And, and I just want to, as your pastor, call attention to this. Uh, it's not okay. We will not stand for, for hate. Uh, the thing that makes America beautiful, that depending on, you can believe in whatever you want. And we, we've been talking about this in the first century. Rome believed in a lot of things that does not give other people the right to go in and mow down people for what they're categorizing the entire group for allegedly believing or not uh, believing in. So I, as your pastor, I want to encourage you to think twice three times and four times before you post anything online or have conversations with your friends. And if you're not sure, should I post this? Should I state this about whatever over coffee with my friend? Do what I do. Ask my wife. She will, she will set you straight. So what I'd like to do before we jump into the sermon is pray not for Pittsburgh, but for our Jewish friends uh, who endured such violence yesterday. Uh, Jesus, um, we, we, we pray for our friends, and when you lost Lazarus a few weeks ago, uh, we want to just call out that we are sitting Shiva with our Jewish friends, and that we're sitting in mourning and grief, that there are so many powerful ideas, and ideas have consequences, and we want to pray against the hate and the vitriol uh, of, of the current events that happened yesterday, seemingly to be happening throughout our country. Thank you for a country where men and women defend our right to gather and assemble together to talk about whatever we want to. And uh, I thank you for that right, and I thank you for that freedom. I want to pray for uh, the, the Jewish families that have uh, endured incredible loss and grief. Uh, that is from the devil, that is demonic, that is not of you, and that is not the way of Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, as we... Um, as we uh, how do you make a hard right from that? As we end our, our, our series today, Jesus says, we've been saying the big idea for this series is to take Jesus off of our shelf and place him into our lives. In other words, Jesus wants a transformative relationship with us 
not a transactional relationship with us. A transactional relationship is maybe uh, there was a season in your life where uh, you needed church or God or whatever, and you became a Christian or attended, but then life happens and you just stop going, and then you just go on holidays or when you feel like you need a little bit of, uh, a little bit of religion. Jesus is not into that kind of relationship. Jesus wants a transformative relationship where he's invited into every aspect of your life, your will, your emotions, your politics, your sexuality, your relationships, your, your marriage. And it, it is not keeping Jesus first in your life. It's planting him in the center of your life and everything revolves around Jesus in your life. Uh, Jesus uh, in this series uh, has defined himself on his own terms, and that was uh, a prayer of mine, that uh, every, every pastor, every politician, musician, and poet all have an opinion on who Jesus is. And so we wanted to take this first fall together, my first fall with you, and just allow Jesus to speak for himself. It's a novel idea, I, I know. And, and, and you decide if this man is worth following. Over the course of the fall, uh, this fall, uh, Jesus has defined himself as being the bread of life, the light of the world, the door for the sheep, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection and the life. And today we come across John 15, Jesus's final descriptive statement about himself when he says, I am the true vine, remain in me as I also will remain in you. So this is a question of what does faithfulness look like? So if you have a four-year-old parents and they come home and they say, look, uh, mom, dad, let me tell you what I learned in Kids Rock and they start singing, I won't do that because I want you to stay, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, kind of old school uh, church song, I learned it when I was four, maybe even younger, I felt like I was born going to church, that, that, that's, that, that makes you feel good, parents, doesn't it, right? that, that, you, you pull out your phones, you take photos, you put it on Instagram, Snapchat, you text your other siblings, look how more Jesus and Christ-like my kid is over yours, we are the chosen ones this Thanksgiving, right? But, but here's what happens to that four-year-old. They grow up. They enter the twilight zone, the adolescent teenage years, right? You've been there. You survived. You know, you should, you should get a ribbon for that, right? Uh, that, that, that's some tough times. So they grow up, and they go into middle school, and they go into high school. And that's when they, they, they learn those teenage years, and even younger, sadly, honestly, not everybody is for them, right? Not everybody loves them like their mama loves them, right? Uh, they're not the best thing since sliced bread, right? Uh, or drive through coffee companies, right? That is the best thing ever. Uh, th- and suddenly their world does not revolve around them, and they start dating, and someone says, I don't like you, or you're ugly, or you smell, uh, just going back to, to my days, uh, and, and, and you're like, well, I thought I was amazing. And then they go into college or the military or the workforce, and, and then they learn what adulting means. <laughs> and then car- No, I don't believe in karma, but then karma happens, right? And then they, <clears throat> maybe they get married and want to have kids, and, and they struggle with that. And, and maybe for a season, if not their whole marriage, infertility is something they, they just have to to know that, that that might be a reality, or maybe they have kids, and then their kids go into the twilight zone called adolescence, and they make really poor choices, and you give them keys to your car, and they run it into a tree, and they drink underage, and they call you and say, I don't know where I'm at, but can you uh, drop a pin on my phone and come pick me up? 
and then you get older. That kid that was four is now in his 50s and 60s, and, and now your friends are dying, and cancer's a reality, and, 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 and heart failure is a reality. And then you're 84, and you bury the love of your life. At four, it's cute to say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. At 84, it is profound to say, Jesus loves me. I know this because I read his word. So what's the connection between 4 and 84 that Jesus is talking about when he says, I'm the vine? Your life from 4 to 84 that would lead you to sing the same song from cradle to grave, from birthday to deathbed, comes down to one word. It's abide. It's abide. We just read it. In your English translation, some NIV Bibles uh, translate it remain. It's the same thing. Jesus says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. The song that you learned at four will be so profound and so sweet at 84. There's going to be a richness to your life through all the heartache, the pain, the frustrations, the ups and the downs. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus said, if you're more religious... I will be more religious with you. If you're more moral, I will be more moral. If you know all the answers, I will remain with you. If you know apologetics, I will remain with you. If you don't know what that word means, that was for the people that do. If you feed the poor and do a lot of nice things, Jesus didn't say that. Those aren't bad things, but those are not ultimate things. Jesus said, if you abide with me, I will abide with and in you. So what I'd like to do with my time this morning is talk about what does the abiding life look like? The first thing that it looks like is that it is an inward journey. Uh, Jesus in John 15 says, I'm the true vine. My father's the gardener. So he's laying, he's defining terms here. I'm a vine. My dad's the gardener. My dad, he, he cuts every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. That's another beautiful image of of the word cleansing us as we read it. Um, Verse 4, remain in me as I also will remain in you or abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, which makes sense. You have to be connected to the life source to live. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus says the abiding life is an inward journey. I did not, I did not know what that meant four or five years ago, okay? I've been in full-time ministry for like 15 years. At that point, it'd been like 10 years. I did not know what it meant to take the inward journey. I had no, um, I had no uh, shelf life in my brain for words like spiritual direction and taking the inward journey. So today, now that I know what it is, when I, when I talk to people, I said, hey, have you ever experienced spiritual direction or, or spiritual formation? They look at me like, like counseling? No, it's not, I'm not a licensed counselor. Sometimes I think pastors think they are, and they probably do more harm than good. Uh, so do you mean pastoral counseling? No, it's not pastoral counseling. Pastoral counseling is you talk, I listen, I tell you stuff to do, and you trust me, and you try it, and we see what happens. Spiritual direction is listening to you, sitting across from me, after a, a time of silence and prayer, listening to your story, asking the Spirit, Spirit, what questions are you prompting in me as I listen to my friend talk? 
And look, I, I get it. If you're me, if you like proof and you like history, show me the money kind of a thing, that might freak you out. But that's what the Spirit does in the life of the believer. That's what it means to take the inward journey. Um, Gordon MacDonald in his book, Ordering Your Private World, which is a great book, I encourage you to grab it on Amazon, says that it's an old, older book, it says, when the inner garden, your soul, when the inner garden is under cultivation and God's Spirit is present, harvests are regular events. The fruits, things like courage, hope, love, endurance, joy, and lots and lots of peace. I know a lot of Christians. I don't know many of them that are at peace. The Pharisees seemed to be very religious in Jesus' day. Not many of them were at peace. We cultivate the inward life when we take the inward journey. What Jesus is hinting at here, friends, is a text way back in the Old Testament in the Jewish scriptures in Psalm 80, 8 through 9. The Israelites made this prayer to God. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. We talked about that last week. We want, uh, Israel, Old Testament characters calling out for the name of God. You transplanted a vine. This is what Jesus is referring to. From Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared ground for it and took root, and you filled the land. So what the Israelites were praying for, that salvation comes through the Jews. That's the narrative of the Old Testament. Jesus rolls up on the scene and says, not anymore. I'm the true vine. Salvation is no longer nationalistic. Salvation is through me, this Jewish rabbi. And it's not closed off to other countries, other people groups, other ethnicities. It is wide open for anybody that wants to come and follow me and take the journey. Jesus says, this grace that I have is available to anyone and everyone who wants to take a walk with me. Bob Goff, in his book, uh, Love Does, which is a, it's a phenomenal book. The guy's, the guy's crazy. He's a spaz, super extroverted. Everything's amazing all at once, and, and he's got the money to do whatever. I mean, but he's also inspiring because, like, I don't, have that, I don't have that amount of energy. So I will read your book and then go, you're crazy. But in his book, Love Does, Bob Goff says this, uh, kind of hinting at the spiritual, um, at the inward journey, spiritual direction. Every day, God invites us on the same kind of adventure, it's not a trip where he sends us a rigid itinerary. I don't like those kind of vacations. Uh, he simply invites us. God asks, what is it that he's made us to love? Are you listening? Jesus wants to ask you, Why ha what have I made in you that you actually love doing? And then he says, what is it that captures your attention? Imagine Jesus having this conversation with you. And what feeds that deep, indescribable need of your soul to experience the richness of the world that I have made. And then, leaning over, Jesus whispers, let's go do that together. That's the inward journey. That's the life and the adventure Jesus invites us into should we choose to walk with Jesus in this life and even into the next. There are so many, we don't have time to get into all of them, but there are so many pathways into the inward journey, friends. There's pathways, and these are pathways that keep us from spiritual direction and spiritual formation. The first is identity. Where do you ultimately find your purpose and fulfillment? What, what, what do you do in your life that kind of makes you take a deep breath? Like, this is who I am. 
And it doesn't have to be a bad thing, but sometimes we trade good things for ultimate things, and we put our identity in what we, what we do or the affirmation that we receive, we receive from other people. Another inward journey pathway is relationships. Who are you currently not at peace with? Right? These, thing, these things, uh, and I grew up in a great church, these things seem to be like Dr. Phil questions, right? Not Sunday church questions. But these are precisely the things that Jesus cares about. What about your ambition? What are you striving for? I can't tell you how many times, myself included, I said, I'm going to go do something for God. <laughs> Jesus laughs at us. He laughs, do something for me. I don't want you to do anything for me. I want you to do everything with me. Let's take an adventure together. Go at the pace of my spirit, not your ambition. What about your health? All right, I know I'm going to step on a lot of toes, including mine, but it's part of the process. How do you feel when you think about your body? That matters. Don't, don't throw that under the bus and say, well, as long as I memorized what, John 3.16, I'm fine. Your physical body matters to Jesus. And what about your soul? How do you enter into a time where Jesus actually cares for you? We, we talked about this idea a few weeks ago that Jesus is the good shepherd, and he really wants to grow and develop you if you're willing to abide in him, if you're willing to, to make the, the arc of your life from 4 to 84 about walking with him. And what about your emotions? Are you able to curb your fear and anger that you have? And what I, what I mean by that is uh, typically emotionally immature and unhealthy people uh, feel the rise of anger and fear, and then it gets to a tipping point, and then nobody wants to be in the room with those people. You know what I'm talking about? You're thinking about them right now because in four weeks you're going to have Thanksgiving with them, right? <laughs> An underdeveloped person says, I think it's coming. I don't care. I'm going to blow up on them. It's going to be awesome. Jesus cares about that. He cares about your emotional health. He, he wants to develop in you an awareness of when your emotions are starting to rise up so that you can cut it off and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. The person across from me is just a person. The reason why I'm angry, right, is I get my identity from X, Y, and Z. And in this moment, I feel like this person, who has no idea about my childhood, by the way, right, they have no idea, uh, I'm about to explode on this person because they're questioning who I am at my core. And that's why I say time and time again, friends, at the core of who we are, are beloved sons and daughters of God, not our ability to produce a salary, make friends, or do any. We are God's children, and he loves us that way. But if we don't curb our emotions, if, we, if we're not able to, to see the, the dynamite stick coming and the explosion about to happen, uh, we will destroy uh, ourselves in a lot of relationships. Secondly, the abiding life is, a pr is pruned every single year. This is not fun, but Jesus talks about it, so we're going to do it. In verse 5 through 8, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, that, that's really annoying if you're a type A driven person. <laughs> if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, whatever you, uh, whatever you wish or ask, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves uh, to be my uh, disciples. I had to do some research about pruning in vineyards, okay? No, I didn't buy alcohol, all right? So don't send me emails. 
but, but I got a new two, and uh, I, I figured out why it was important to prune if you own a vineyard. Uh, people that own vineyards always have to prune off the dead wood, and those, uh, the dead wood and, and the, um, the vines that were not producing uh, grapes or could not because they did the previous year would be cut down, and the uh, workers of the vineyard would come back and dispose of them or burn them uh, in the fire. <clears throat> if you don't cut back the dead wood, you're not going to have grapes, you won't have wine, you won't have a distributor, and you won't have a job. If the, if the owner of the vineyard doesn't cut off what is dead on the vine, the owner doesn't have a job. There are many of us in this room, my, myself included, my goodness, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm immune to this, where Jesus can have a lot of my life, but you can't have this. You can't have my identity because I'm really insecure. You can't prune this, Jesus. Jesus, you can't have my parenting approach because I'm awesome at it. Don't touch it. You can't prune this. Jesus, I need porn and alcohol and anger because if I don't have those things, how else am I going to calm my life when I feel like it's out of control? You can't prune this. Back up, Jesus. How many of us are carrying dead weight in our bones because we won't allow Jesus to prune back what is dead and unhealthy in our lives. Pruning is not fun, but pruning is profitable. If you think that life is a story about you and you're the main character, you will not want to be pruned. <laughs> if your goal is to only come to church during the holidays or when life gets hard, you will not like pruning. If you have no worldview of human suffering and immediately walk away from Jesus when bad things happen, like synagogue shootings, you will not want to be pruned. If you seek your own glory and continually make foolish decisions and you honestly have your own agenda, even though you're here every Sunday, you will run away from pruning. Pruning shifts our view of pain from being harmful to being beneficial. If we as a church and individually as followers of Jesus, are going to grow in wisdom and maturity. We have to be pruned. It's part of the deal, friends. And pruning, it could be, but pruning, in my experience, isn't the phone call where your grandmother passed away of cancer. Pruning isn't, uh, I hate my job and life is hard and I still make six figures. That's not pruning. It could be, it could be, but pruning is often that inward journey all the way back to to four-year-old Ben, four-year-old Brian and Amy and Jessica and Tiffany as to why we are the way that we are right now. We get, we get upset over certain things. We get angry. We're control freaks in our own way. Maybe we were not validated as kids. Maybe we weren't, we weren't allowed to express our feelings. And, and, and today we come across as introverted. And introvert, that's not bad. But we come across as introverted because we don't believe that we're actually allowed to express what we're thinking and feeling. That happens, friends, when we allow the Father who owns the vineyard to cut off what is dead inside of us. Hosea 4.6 says, this is God speaking to the Israelites, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Not head knowledge, not what does John 3.16 mean in the Greek, but wisdom, the ability to do life, the art and the dance of life and relationships. 
They, they don't seek wise counsel, and they're destructive and destroying themselves. Marty Hunt, my spiritual formation pastor, said um, often we sin in our pain. Hurt people hurt people. And we can say we're Christian, and we probably are, but if we're not taking the inward journey, all we have over the course of our life is dead wood rotting in our bones. And that's not what Jesus wants for us. He wants for us fruit so that we may glorify the Father. And so we all may say in unison that this is about the Father. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son that I could have new life, but not just new life, an abundant, fruitful life where I have peace, I have joy, I have restoration. Now, is life a cakewalk? No. If it is, write the book. I want to read it. But, but it's the promise that God will walk with us. Your greatest pruning could be your greatest story, right? It's, it's easy to impress people from a, from a distance, but you move and develop people up close. And brokenness and honesty are things that people are dying to hear from you and also from church leaders, which is what, that's why I try, I try to preach relationally, but to encourage you to be who you are and to share your story, warts and all. Abiding in Christ means you will be pruned. It's going to happen. Step into it and trust Jesus. The third and final thought I'd like to give to you this morning is that the abiding life has exponential impact. This is really good stuff. In verse 9 through 17, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Like Jesus like, I know how to love you because I know how my dad loves me. And the way my dad loves me is the way I, I love you. It's pretty beautiful if you think about it. Now, remain in my love. Like That seems like a simple, simple command. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in His love. Just talking about being a family. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. What a bold statement. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. Notice this. He's he's saying, your relationship with me is not uh, transactional. It's transformative, right? You are my friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business, nor should he. He's just there to do his job. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father. I have made known to you. What a beautiful statement. You did not choose me. <laughs> you wouldn't want to, because eventually you're going to put me on a cross in a few days. But I have chosen you. I've appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, to love one another. Jesus said, when you walk with me and you abide in me, I will produce in you a weight of maturity and depth that will be compelling to the people that you interact with and will reassure your trust that your decision to abide and remain in Jesus is going to be worth it. In Romans 11, I'll end with this, Paul says the church is like a tree. That may not mean anything to you right now, but it will in a second. He says, behind and underneath all the behind, I'm getting excited, behind and underneath all this, there is a holy God-planted 
God-tended root. Talk about Jesus. If the primary root of the holy tree is holy, there's bound to be some holy fruit. Some of the tree branches were pruned, and you, wild olive shoots, were grafted in. When you became part of, when you became a Christian, you were grafted in. Yet the fact that you are now fed by that rich and holy root gives you no cause to crow over pruned branches. Don't cry when Jesus prunes you. It's for your good. Remember, you aren't feeding the root. The root, Jesus, is feeding you. In the first century, if you wanted to put a boot on your opponent's neck after you destroyed them in a war, you would go into their city and you would simply cut down all of the trees. In the first century, a tree was for your protection, your provision, and for your nourishment. Paul is saying if the local church abides in Christ, they will be a strong tree, a, a, a vine, a shoot attached to Jesus in whatever community. We happen to be in Salem, New Hampshire, and you will be a, a hedge of protection for Salem. You will be a place of nourishment for Salem. You will be a place of encouragement. You will have stories to tell based on the fruit that you bear. This is Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks so much that you're patient with us that you love us, and that you want to walk with us. I pray for my friends who are in a pruning season, that they would continue to lean into you and help them to, 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 to speak back the lie that a pruning season means like they're bad or God's after them. It's part of the discipleship process. And, and I pray for our church and for my friends here, for my friends that are watching online that couldn't be here today that you would produce in us a fruit, a weight of glory, a maturity in us, that we could be protection, provision, and nourishment for this community. Thank you for this beautiful image of what the church can be about. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.